0: We've been told since we are young how to be a woman, how to be a man, how to be successful, how to be a failure, how to be gorgeous, how to be unfit and not so beautiful, how to be happily married and then how to be a failure, how to be, how to be, how to be, all predicated on conditioned duality. Mass doses have been injected into you. It's now in the way you think, the way the blood courses through your vein. is constant conditional duality. Good, bad, bad, good. This is good, this is bad. And like puppets, you don't even realize you're being strung down roads. If it's bad, you go down this path. If it's good, you go down this path. But never do you stop to question what is good and what is bad.
1: Hi, I'm Vishen Lakhiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas in personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work.
0: So the reason I became a clinical psychologist is not just because I'm a little voyeuristic, but because I'm fascinated by the human condition. And what fascinates me is not how unique our stories are. What fascinates me is how predictably, ubiquitously, similar we are. All of us are stories, really. Stories which hold the same archetypes, the same motifs, the same themes. And they all really begin, perpetuate, toxify, and contort into dysfunction thanks to our lovely, generous, unconscious parents. (laughs) And when I began to see that, because you know when you're a new therapist, you're just so seduced by the reality television happening on your couch. It's so exciting. Oh, you all had a fight last night in the middle of sex? Tell me more. (laughs) And then you forget that you're here to help them because it's so entertaining. (laughs) And so for a long time, I felt guilty to raise my fees because I'm like, how much would I pay for a Netflix? (laughs) And then it realized on me that I need to kind of help them. (laughs) And... When I began to help them, I began to look for the source. Where is all this coming from? So obviously the first source every psychologist knows is the childhood. That's kind of easy. Books, tomes, theories. Freud has become famous because he figured that out. It all begins in childhood. So that's easy. But then what? Now what do we do with the dysfunction that you and I... Our products off. What do we do with that? So I began to uncover within my own quest, within my own spiritual journey, now what? So if it's in childhood, it's got to be the parent. But you can't just tell the parent it's the parent, because let me tell you, (laughs) there is no one more defensive than the parent. Even spouses, they'll back off. But the parent, I mean the very reason we become a parent, is to be the parent, to identify with the identification of the parent. And right behind that, in the shadow of that label, is I have to be a good parent. And that just means that my child has no choice but to be some sort of, some version of some nuance of a superstar. This is my mission. And the Parenting Industrial Complex, PIC, has sold us on this mythology that we are some sort of martyrs and saints. You know, I often ask parents, especially mothers, yeah? So did you hear your child ask you to save it from the dungeons of hell that it was in? Did you hear the hearkening call saying, you, you beautiful woman with that beautiful man, you are the ones I want to manifest in form with. Because if you leave me here in the ether of consciousness, I, I won't become. You will help me become great. Did you hear them say that? Because we believe that we are doing a great justice to the earth by having these children. So then our mission, you see, because of this parenting paradigm, is to do it with zeal, to do it with vigor. In fact, the only reason we had children, we've been told, is to make them happy and them successful. This is what the complex tells us. This is what the paradigm has sold us. So in the name of that is great capitalism. It used to be, you know, just rugby around the corner. We'll buy a ball. We'll invest in a ball. But then the industry and the complex realizing, you know, Parents are a lot more afraid. Let's capitalize on that a little bit. There's a lot more fear to be capitalized upon, to make capital. Let's stir it up a little bit. Let's not just tell them that children need some activities and some degrees and some education. No. Let's keep churning their fear and keep making capital. And so here we are in this parenting paradigm of today which is mostly capitalistic. But the one who is the cattle are our children. You and I were raised in a generation of benign neglect. Our parents really were self-absorbed in a different way, in a healthier way. But today's parents, no, 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 no. They're self-absorbed in a self-sacrificing way. No one is more dangerous than a self-sacrificing, self-absorbed narcissist. Because everything that is done is not done for me, it is done for you to be happy and successful. So, in the name of happiness and success, we now have a huge problem. And it is a machinery that churns out children to become products, not humans. You and I are barely authentic, barely our true human self. You and I, with the benign neglect of Parents knocked out on weed or just so fascinated with television that came out, you know, when we were growing up or so excited that they had a few trinkets or could send you to summer camp. Though, that, You know, back then we had parents who were around and they didn't look at us that much and look at how effed up we are. <laughs> now today, children are in a Petri dish to be made into some animatronics version of themselves. This is the plague of parenting today. This is what I see. So when I began to discover that the problem isn't just childhood, easy. Freud had it easy. No, no, no. The problem is some illness (laughs) in this parenting paradigm. There is great toxicity here. And unless we go to the root of this toxicity, which includes, in large, great inner thirst of the parent, which is essentially unquenchable, if we don't get to that thirst... Children will forever be sent to be prey, to be fed off, to fill that inner hunger of their parents. You and I were raised knowing that we were not who our parents said we were. We know, that's why we're here in this room today, that we have to discover who it is we are who we truly, authentically are. This is why we're here. We're questing, we're searching for something that was ours, our birthright to begin with. But because of our unconscious parents, we lost our way. Imagine today. Today, parents with a zeal put their children to be engineered in school after school, in institution after institution, in activity after activity. But the root of the problem is the same cross generations, cross decades, cross lifetimes. It is this parenting paradigm that has at its core that children are to be possessed and owned. You and I were possessed and owned by our parents to some degree or the other. We were instruments of their self-absorption. Now it's just extreme, it's on steroids. Now it's blatant, unabashed. The martyrdom is longing to be a prolifically exhibited Facebook, social media. Look how great a parent I am. Look at my kid. Now it's just prolific. Where before it was just grandma looking at the cute photo on the fridge and you got to show off and say, yeah, my child. Now it's just on steroids. It's become insane. But here is the opportunity to see it on display. This is an opportunity. Just before we fly off the precipice and crash and burn, there's an opportunity. Just before this progress tips over into so much devolution, there's an opportunity. And the opportunity is to understand that the path we're hurtling on, crashing toward, is one of deep and dark destruction. Vision said, I'm a little tad de- depressing. That's why they put me on the last day. They had to put me somewhere. I know vision secrets. They had to put me somewhere. But let's put her early, where not enough people will come. And then by the end of the day, they'll forget
1: her. One of the things I've realized after conducting well over a thousand interviews with the world's greatest thought leaders in everything from entrepreneurship to spirituality, to health and wellness, to relationship, is that life is enormous. And there are so many ways we can make our life better and better in every way, in every single day. If you're successful in just one area of life, you might just suck in another. I've known billionaires whose romantic lives were in shambles. I've known incredibly emotionally intelligent people who just couldn't make money. And that's totally fine. It doesn't matter where you are. Life doesn't have to stay the same forever. You're not cursed or destined to be miserable or unlucky in love or struggling to make ends meet. You would just never thought how to have it all, how to do things differently, how to master the human experience from a mind, body, and soul perspective. This is where Mind Valley membership comes in. When you become a Mindvalley member, you are coached by the greatest teachers in the world. You get to live a life beyond your wildest dreams and learn the best systems, protocols, methods, step by step by step in just 20 minutes a day to get there. You become the man or woman that you've always aspired to be. And this happens in the easiest, most effective way because of the Mind Valley transformational model. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now. Don't settle for ordinary. Don't settle for your life the way it is now. Aspire to step into your greatness.
0: Because I'm not here to win your popularity contest. Now they've started this this braiding thing, now putting pressure on me. I'm like, should I be popular or should I tell the truth? I'm I'm not here really, it's really not my investment to motivate you, nor to really inspire you. Certainly, certainly not to win your approval. I'm here to just tell you what I see, how I see it, after the decades of clients I've worked with, and the deconstruction of the human mind that I am endeavoring, to pursue. The pursuit of the real truth of why we're so fucked up. <laughs> it's not because we don't have a quicker brain so we can learn some techniques. It's not because we don't have a better body. It's not because the, the best invention of Botox just hasn't come on the market. It's not because that's that beautiful person you could call your soulmate hasn't been created or birthed yet. It is none of those. The fundamental illusion is because we have been told that we need to become someone in order to feel worthy. We have to discover who it is we are, that this journey is to do more, become more, achieve more, perfect more. All of it is a lie, it's part of the capitalism. When you realize that we have been living in this bubble, it's a bubble. When you realize that this dimension is predicated on fear. You know, when I was young, I used to ask endearing existential questions. Some of them were personal, some of them were universal. The personal ones were, you know, will God know that I vowed to not suck my thumb anymore, but I'm still sucking it, and then when is the chariot to hell going to arrive? And then I used to ponder other things. Like, why do I need to wear a dress? And why must I only have one boyfriend at a time? (laughs) Why must I get married? Why must my brother not cry so much? Why must I have a religion and pray to this God? I want to pray to, with my best friend Amy's God. I want to go there. No, you can't. Why do we have to take care of our family, but not the family? And then, of course, very important questions such as, but well, why can't we have dessert before the meal? <laughs> why three times a day? and when i used to watch my father put his tie on in the morning with great pride and glee simple observations of children i used to say daddy why he's like because now i look professional read up how the tie came to be it's a sign of servitude and slavery to be stiff and focused so this matrix you see why we work 5 days a week and why we do why we go to school and have to sit still And admire and respect teachers who don't deserve it so much. Why, 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 I used to ask. Till one day I just stopped asking. Not because things made sense to me. Not because I received answers. But because I knew inherently that no adult had figured it out. Because they were living in the matrix. You see, they had bought into it. They were wearing it like their second skin. They had no concept that it was distant. It was something produced. It was something created. It was something constructed. We are living in a construction. None of it needs to be true. You know, when we name our children, when you're pregnant as a woman, you're asked a bazillion times a day, what will you name your child? Or what child? What kind of child are you having? Boy or girl, they mean. <laughs> and then if you're like, no, I'm leaving it to the universe, I'm leaving it to destiny, then they say, okay, let's just go to other forms of control then. Since you've given up that control, let's go to other ways you can control your child. What name will you give it? And just in that, Oh, well, I want to name my kid something special, something unique, something unusual. Just in there begins the seed of endless, endless manic delusion and narcissism. Just in that. Now, you'll say, well, what do you want the parent to do? They live in a world of form. They have to call the kid something. But again, that you say that to me because you've bought into this matrix. When you're married, you're allowed to change your name. The system has suddenly, miraculously, legally been set up for that expansion to occur. But you see, because the predication is that we own and possess our children, because we parents are in hierarchical superiority, we must give it a name. No one even questions it. Technically, if you really understood the nature of who we are as sovereign beings, we should have four, five, seven names at different times, and the system should allow for it. But the system won't allow because the system doesn't give a damn, because the system controls what it wants to control. And you just don't realize, I don't realize, that we're part of a controlled entity, We are being puppeteered according to someone else's imagination or the limits of. You just don't realize it. So it is the way to be. So if it is the way to be and we don't question, then we don't awaken. So what does it mean to awaken? To me, to awaken doesn't mean to have a better body or a marriage that lasts 75 years or to raise the perfect child. None of that really interests me. It's actually quite boring. What really interests me is someone who tells me that they can see through the illusion of this dimension they've been living in. To understand that we've been all raised like cattle. All of us, we think we're so unique. We're really, really not. I'm so sorry. You're cute. And you may be really witty and smart, but in our core which is in the way we think. We have all been sold the same Kool-Aid. We've all been drinking the same juice. We are all under hypnosis. We all are. When I was in India, I was certain that the air the Americans breathe would make them so much more enlightened. Just a little disappointed. (laughs) We are the same, yeah? Because we are living under a cloud of the same delusion. Now, there's no harm in living under the cloud. The harm comes in thinking that that's the right way to be, and that's where the toxicity starts. When we give to our next generation our way to be, and our way to be is heavily, heavily predicated on categorical duality. And if we can understand that, we can see how we've been set up to be anxious, to be a generation of great anxiety, because we have been set up on categorical duality. What is categorical duality? All of our life is predicated on labels, judgments, a way to be good and bad. We've been told since we are young how to be a woman, how to be a man, how to be successful, how to be a failure, how to be gorgeous, how to be unfit and not so beautiful, how to be happily married and then how to be a failure. How to be, how to be, how to be, all predicated on conditioned duality. Mass doses have been injected into you. It's now in the way you think, the way the blood courses through your vein. is constant conditional duality. Good, bad, bad, good. This is good, this is bad. And like puppets, you don't even realize you're being strung down roads. If it's bad, you go down this path. If it's good, you go down this path. But never do you stop to question what is good and what is bad. You never pause to say, maybe what I've been told is good could really actually be bad. And what is bad could be good. So in effect, they nullify each other. In effect, there is no good or bad. One of my first most profound spiritual lessons was to understand not only that we're living in a matrix, not only to realize that this entire construction of this thing we call a life is actually a ball of yarn. You pull one string, you see the fallacy in one area. You know, if you read the religious books, all of them have fallacies, but they're all justified and explained. I'm talking about my religious book. Let me just take ownership for my people, okay? (laughs) See, there's certain topics that are taboo. They prick people because we've been told what is good and what is bad, what is admissible and what isn't, what is appropriate and what isn't. And as long as we live in the fear and the clutches of the paranoia that we cannot speak freely, we will never awaken or evolve. So, This ball of yarn, you see, there is a dangling thread. You just have to find it. But we're so terrified to pull. We tug a little bit, and life actually loosens it up on its own. But when we see it crumbling before us, we, we run for cover. We run, we run, we run. We're like, no, 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 this is bad, this is bad. Because life as we know it is life as we know it. So if life becomes life as we don't know it, there's great fear. So as long as we never pull, question, look under the rug, look behind the corners, look beneath the shadows, we will not awaken. To awaken means to look and see things as they really are. To see the source of where, how you believe has come to be. Dare to go behind and beyond the matrix. So, so this is a bulb. It's beautiful. It's a symbol. It's a metaphor for things that are intact, that are perfect, made with exquisite invention. Without this, we cannot even function. This is a good thing. This is a beautiful invention, a, a mastery of creativity, an aesthetic and functional perfection. A maestro of its time when this came to be. And without it, we cannot function. It is a good thing in our lives. Now, there are cracked pieces here. Does it cease to be good? Does it cease to be good? Yes. We have been sold in a paradigm the truth that only things that look a certain way, that fit in our mold, that match our symmetry, that has been created by a template given to us by others, is good. If there is one crack, we deem it as bad. But let me tell you, inside here, I cannot expose the pieces in fear that I will cut myself. That the perfection, go break a glass at home today, Go break a bulb at home and see the pieces, each geometric wonder of shattered shards of glass. And then see your creativity to imagine what it could become next, what it could transform into. The possibilities are infinite. The sequences by which the earth, the ground, shatters the glass and the physics that allows it to entertain myriads of shapes in your mind is a wonder indeed, but we will not expose ourselves to such wonder, you see, because it's a blasphemy. It's taking something that looks so good to us and breaking it down. A man once won a lottery. He was so excited, he bought himself a Ferrari. Everyone around him said, you're so lucky. Who wins the lottery? You're so lucky. Women began swarming around him. Men began admiring him, because now he was driving in a fancy Ferrari. One day he was driving, just innocuously, not so show-offy. But then he fell into an accident. He had to be taken to the hospital. Now people around him began saying, oh, this is not such a good thing. Oh, maybe, you know, if you hadn't won the lotto, you wouldn't have been in the Ferrari, and now you wouldn't be in the hospital. But then that night when he was in the hospital, there was a strong gale of gusty wind, tornado-like, and it came through his hospital window, shattered it and cut him in pieces but then it was a bad thing but then it was so good because he was in the hospital so he was saved and then everyone began telling him that you know thank goodness actually you were in the the accident with the ferrari and ended up in this hospital because this person this doctor who works here is really a specialist in sewing up the skin beautifully and when he was introduced to her she became the love of his life but then on the way out of the hospital do you want me to continue yeah. <laughs> Then they tripped on the, on the stairs and then they both broke their legs. But then, <laughs> my point is, is that what you think is a good thing and what you preserve as good and what you hold on to and never want to shatter may actually be the thing that needs to break you apart to an entirely new way of living, to a new dimension, to a new exposure. But because we've been conditioned... And you know, the tragic thing is we've been conditioned in such a myopically rigid, stratified way, at least if we were conditioned, that many things were good. Like almost everything on earth that was good, no problem. Every life experience was good, no problem. But you know, there are only five or six things are good. Things that stay and last a long time. Things that make us feel good, make us look good, and give us money. To be concise. Anything out of that is bad. So you and I, without realizing, live on the precipice of fear of anything bad happening outside those four things. That's why we Botox ourselves. And now we lift our butts and our boobs up, and we take away all signs of aging, and we never want to be poor. Your child comes home and says, Mommy, you always told me you wanted me to be happy. I found what makes me happy. And we're like, yeah, what? we're thinking corporate corner job, barbels, trinkets, jewelry, maybe she's gonna marry a doctor. What, my love, what'll make you happy? I've decided I'm gonna give up all my possessions and go and volunteer in a war-torn country in Somalia, a part of Somalia. I'm going to go and volunteer and live on arms. No, my child, that's not what I meant when I said go find your happiness. (laughs) Were you not listening to the other parts of the sentence or the other part of the lecture? There was a whole other section. That you can't be happy without being wealthy. And you really can't be happy without being married. And you can't be happy without having children. I mean, this is what gives us all joy. Don't you see? The whole world is doing it. If the whole world is doing it, surely it means that it's giving us joy and happiness. But mommy, you don't look happy. Of course I don't look happy. (laughs) Because right now... Your happiness is my happiness. So it's only when you're happy I can look happy. So if I don't look happy, it's your damn fault. But don't feel guilty. Nothing to feel guilty about. It's okay. When you're happy, I'll be happy. Just be happy. But don't be poor. And when you're happy and well settled, and you find your partner and you have your children, right? And the, the, the kid is going, I was so happy just playing with my blocks. But now she's told me when I'll be happy. So obviously I wasn't happy. So it's something else I have to look for. It's something so uh, ephemeral. I don't even know what it is because I really thought I was happy, but okay, because she's my mother and this is my father. I'm going to listen. So it's in the future. Damn, where is it? Oh, she's saying where, oh, she's telling me, she's so loving, she's telling me where it is. I have to be well settled, which to me, I think it means some big ass house with some cars in the garage, and then I have to find a partner and have children. And if my body doesn't allow me to have children, okay, that's not a good thing. I'm not going to be happy. And the person I have to marry has to be very well qualified. So probably I have to meet him at a very well qualified institution. So I have to study very hard, which brings us to today, I can't play with blocks anymore. Because I have to go work very hard for my future so I can be very happy. (laughs) I was really happy just playing with my blocks. No, don't play with your blocks. So, this woman was a simple woman in a village, and one day she noticed a hole in her coat. But it didn't make her so unhappy. But then, when she went outside and she met her neighbor, the neighbor said, Your coat has a hole. And so the neighbor's judgment made her feel like, oh, okay, something bad, something wrong with me. Let me go look for the source. Sure enough, there was a mouse. So she sewed up the hole and she was like, okay, I have to kill this mouse. Let me go find a cat. So she found a cat and the cat was a good cat. They're good and bad cats too, by the way. And this was a good cat. The cat did what it was supposed to do and killed the mouse. But then the cat was not, you know, sturdy and resilient. It needed food. So she needed to give it milk. So then she went to buy a good cow to give it some milk for the good cat. And then the cow, damn that cow, it would walk away and like do things that animals do. So she was upset with the cow, bad cow. She had to do something about the cow. So then she bought a fence and she corralled it in a nice container. But that cow, so bad, always found a way to leave. So now she had to buy a cow hand, purchase, get one from the market, a little boy. So she bought a little boy to come and help, you know. But damn, this little boy has an appetite. What was she thinking? You know, she just thought they would work for her in servitude and slavery, but it had an appetite. So now she had to go and find a job. She had to buy new clothes. And one day she, <laughs> she began thinking, maybe I was happier with the hole in my coat. <laughs> so this progress that we're creating in the search for ubiquity Of happiness, for the utopia of this place that we will arrive at, this tropical place called happiness, is the biggest lie of it all.